Welcome to episode six of Thin Air. We first want to say thank you to you, our amazing listeners, for your patience during our mid-season break. We use that time to research quality stories, gather original content, and to make sure the remainder of our season is as good as it possibly can be. One of our goals on our Patreon is to become a more frequent podcast. We love doing this and dream of a day when this can be our full-time job. If you'd like to hear more from us, please consider making a donation at patreon.com forward slash thin air podcast. Links are on our website, thinairpodcast.com in the upper right hand corner. Patreon is a website that empowers supporters of the arts like you to give a donation to projects that you love. We need your support to continue to bring you quality content. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash thin air podcast. Okay, on with the show. Timothy Pitson was just six years old when he went missing. The protocol for when a child goes missing, as opposed to an adult, is understandably different. In general, we assign agency to adults that can cause a lag between when they are discovered missing and when a police investigation starts. With adults, it seems, there's the assumption that, at least until there's more information, that they could have gone missing because they wanted to. In fact, in every story we've reported on here at Thin Air, this has been the case. An adult goes missing, and the immediate thought is that they will turn up, that they just went somewhere of their own accord. As we've seen, this can have a devastating impact on what evidence remains for any future investigation. With children, there's an urgency, more of an assumption that the child could be the victim of foul play, possibly being taken by someone they don't know. We've all heard of horrific cases where this happens, and it would be hard to say that there wasn't a time more heartbreaking and more overwhelming for a parent, a community, and anyone who cares for the missing child than when they are taken by someone unknown. In general, these cases are more emotionally charged, so people act, and act more immediately than they do with adults. The fear of a predator kidnapping children typically motivates instantaneous investigation and media coverage, and many local and federal government systems have been put into place to help in these cases. For example, it's federal law that there be no waiting period for taking a missing persons report for anyone under 18, as well as the well-known Amber Alert system, sending statewide communications to the public in order to aid local searches for missing children. And because of the strong emotional component of a non-familial abduction, the media covers these cases extensively. However, the reality of most child disappearances is somewhat different. A majority of the time, children, when they are identified as missing, it's because they either ran away or were taken by someone in their family. According to the Center for Missing and Exploited Children, 86% of the cases they assisted with were endangered runaways, and 10% were family abductions. Only 1% was non-family abductions. Timothy Pitson is one of the 10%, last seen with his mother in the spring of 2011. When a family member takes a child, police often have a hard time knowing the level of danger. It's a bit of a gray area, especially if the abducting parent has custody. In this case, Timothy's mother Amy had full custody along with her husband Jim, was a devoted and loving mother, and left with Timothy, telling no one where they were going on a day that was ordinary, routine. Daniel has the baffling and frustrating case of Timothy Pitson. 
The days leading up to the disappearance of Timothy Pitson, he was caught on security camera at various hotels in Illinois and Wisconsin. The footage is eerie to watch now, in hindsight, but to an outsider, Amy and her son Timothy look like any other loving mother and son. He follows dotingly next to her, holds her hand, waits patiently beside her while she pays for their hotel rooms. In one shot, you can see him crawling on the floor of a lobby, pushing a toy car, being a six-year-old boy. It makes sense that Timothy looks happy, too. He's just had the time of his life. His mother, Amy, has just spent the past few days taking him to various zoos and water parks in the greater Aurora, Illinois area. Presumably that whole time, Timothy was unaware of what his future was to hold. The last official report of Timothy alive or dead comes from a telephone call made by Amy on Sunday, May 13, 2011. She called loved ones in which she reassured them that everything was fine and that Timothy was okay. Timothy could be heard in the background of the phone call, and he sounded fine. After that, he's never been seen or heard from again. When the news of Timothy's disappearance broke, it made national headlines. And since then, Timothy's father, James, who prefers Jim, has been interviewed by People magazine and appeared on shows like The Hunt with John Walsh. I too got to speak to Jim, and he helped me piece together the bizarre disappearance of his six-year-old son, Timothy Pitson. The story of Timothy's disappearance starts on Friday, May 11th, 2011. Jim, Amy, and Timothy all wake up like it's any other Friday. However, Amy wasn't feeling well, suffering from issues related to vertigo. She needed Jim to drop her off at work, which was about three or so blocks away from their home. After Jim dropped Amy off at work, he takes Timothy to kindergarten, which started at 8.10 that morning. So that day that he went missing, can you describe sort of what happened that day, like taking him to school and and whatnot? Yeah, um, Amy was having issues with her vertigo. So I'm like, well, I'll drop you guys off at at school. I'll take you to work, drop him off at school. And she goes, well, you don't trust him? Like, of course I trust you, but you can hardly walk. I'm like... I'll just drop you off and I'll pick you up later. It's not a big deal. You know, I just want to make sure everybody's safe and everybody's taken care of and that you don't get in a car accident or something on the way to school or whatever. And when you're driving around, it's like, okay. And she reluctantly got in the Jeep and we dropped, I dropped him off at school and unbuzzed his seatbelt and hops over to the back of the Jeep and love you, dad. And going, love you too, buddy. I'll catch you later. And he ran off to school, ran off to see his teacher. So like he normally did all the time. Did anything seem strange that day? No. She just said, I said, love you and give me a kiss and then go, I'll see you, see you tonight. I'll come pick you up after work. And she said, okay. And I watched her go in the building and that was it. I went to work. At 8.31 a.m., not long after Jim drops Timothy off at school, Amy shows up claiming there's been a family emergency. The entire interaction is caught on surveillance video. The staff get Timothy from class, and when he sees his mother at the entrance, he runs up to her, his backpack almost as big as him. He grabs her by the hand instantly, and she escorts him out the building. Not long after Amy checks Timothy out of school, she takes her car to an auto repair shop, and while they wait, she takes Timothy to the Brookfield Zoo, a place his father says they enjoyed visiting. 
When their car is ready, she drives them to Key Lime Cove Resort in Gurney, Illinois, which is about an hour's drive from Aurora, where they live. When was the moment that you realized that something was wrong? I went to, went to pick him up from date from a kindergarten at 10.30, and the teacher goes, well, he's already gone. I'm like, huh? What do you mean he's already gone? So I went into the, so the buzzed into the office and went to the desk and asked him, I'd like to see um, who to uh, find him out. And then I looked at it, it was Amy's signature, and she found him out at uh, like 8.15 in the morning. So not long after you had dropped her off. Yeah, not long after yeah dropped him off that he was gone. You show up, you realize that she's checked out, uh, ch- taken Timothy out, and then what did you do? I called on the cell phone and asked her, what's going on, where, where are you guys at, you know, sort of concerned. And uh, no answer. I mean, for like three days. During those days, Amy was taking Timothy to different water parks and resorts in both Illinois and Wisconsin. This is the time I mentioned earlier that they are caught on security footage checking in and out of hotels. We don't know what Amy was telling Timothy during this time, but she did call family members to reassure them that everything was okay and that Timothy was alive and well. And what what were the sort of the next few days like for you? Oh, a lot of more making phone calls and seeing where she was. He never got a return phone call. Um, Called a couple of her friends, called her mom, called her dad. Um, hunted down a couple of friends of hers from Iowa and seen if they'd heard from Amy and they all said no. Did she call anyone in the family and, and let them know what was happening? Um, on Friday, like 1 o'clock, my brother calls and says that Amy called him and said that, um, that Timothy's hers and she's going to do with him what she wants to and that... Um, that she's not coming back. So. Why didn't she? Why don't you think she called you? I have no idea. Um, the cops keep saying that that she tried to call me, and that it didn't go through, or the call was dropped, or something like that. When uh, when Amy contacted your brother and said that he did he actually speak to Amy on the phone? He spoke to Amy, Amy and Timothy on the phone. And uh, what did what did Timothy say? Not much. He was he was happy. He was. Uh, playing something or something like that in the car and, and Timothy goes to him, well, Tom says I gotta go, we gotta go now, so I'll get to go, Uncle Chuck. Talk to you later. On Sunday, May 13th, two days after Amy took Timothy from his kindergarten class, she's caught on a security camera at a grocery store in Illinois. This is the first time she's seen without Timothy by her side. The timestamp on the video has her entering at 7.59 p.m. and she's leaving only a few minutes later at 8.06 p.m. with her purchased items. She doesn't look hurried or disoriented in any way. She leaves just as casually as she entered. There are also no visible marks or cuts that would indicate that she had been in any sort of struggle. About four hours later at 11 p.m., Amy checks into a hotel in Rockford, Illinois. Again, there are no reports of Timothy with her at this time. The next day, at 12.30 p.m., the Rockford Inn Hotel employees enter Amy's room. They find her dead from an apparent suicide. She had slashed her wrists and throat and taken an overdose of antihistamines. She left behind a note along with two others that she mailed. 
six-year-old Timothy Pitson was nowhere to be found. Here's a clip of Amy's mother, Alana, reading the note. Mom, I know you are hurt and frustrated, and I wish I had something better to say than I love you, but I don't. I've never really felt that I belonged here. I've tried very hard to fit in, to be happy, to be good to those around me, but somehow I've always felt apart from everything. Tim helped with that for a while, and maybe if Jim and I had been better, I would have been okay, but everything just fell apart, and this time there were just too many pieces for me to pick up again. I can't take the chance of Jim hurting Tim because of my choices, so I've taken him somewhere safe. He will be well cared for, and he says that he loves you. Please know that there is nothing you could have said or done that would have changed my mind. I'm sorry for the hurt and difficulties I know you're going to face. I just hope you will be able to forgive me one day. Please let Brian, Kathy, Natalie, Adam, Kara, Sydney, and Phoebe know that I do love them, and it was just time for me to say goodbye. I love you, Mom. Amy. What sort of drew you to her when when you first saw her, met her? Uh, personality, she was um, energetic and lively. Those and oh, I'm just here, yeah, you know. She had uh, long brown hair, so brown eyes. A pretty good looking lady, about five ten. Very outgoing, energetic. Didn't seem to have seemed to have everything put together at the time. What what sort of things made Amy happy? What were her interests or her hobbies? She. I do scrapbooking for a while, um, pretty much long walks in the park, and uh, Timothy made her extremely happy, and take care of Tim, uh, doing things together. Um, we used to go uh, four-wheeling in a Jeep at the time and take the family, and we'd go uh, drive through the trails on some private property. And, and before any of this had happened, um, did Amy have any uh, mental health issues? Um, after... We got married and were dating for a while. She said that she's taking medication for depression. Okay, because I had um, I had seen one of the shows talking about how she had um, I think taken some medicine on the on the edge of a cliff and had fallen off of it and gotten injured. Can you sort of explain that? Well, she was upset about um, not getting the job she wanted at the time, and she was running out of money that she had saved up, and I guess she was upset because. Things weren't going her way or working out the way she wanted them to. Had you seen any any signs, or had she acted strangely in any any way, sort of in the months leading up to her leaving with Timothy? No, not really. I mean, she'd gone to work and gone to work at that time of the year. We started working a lot of hours at work, so I was working ten hour days, and she'd uh, come home from work and I'd make some dinner and talk, and she had to meetings to go to for property management type stuff and did that. Seems everything seemed to be fine. Because, you know, I have I've read some reports about how people said that she sort of was planning this for a few months before she did it. Looking back now, is there anything that you noticed that would have indicated that she was planning to do something like this? No, I didn't see anything that uh, drew up a flag or anything that something was going on that 
was uncalled for, not normal for her to get. What was your What was your marriage with Amy like at the time of Timothy's disappearance? Uh, a little stressed. Um, she'd gone down uh, to the Bahamas on vacation with her friend Liz, and uh, had a little argument about that for well six months or so. Um, and she came back, and I thought everything was better, and she got back from vacation, and she seemed happy and cheerful and stuff. Excited to see everybody. How long after she got back, and that, and when she left with Timothy? Oh, a little over a week. Yeah, a week, week and a half, probably. Yeah. Amy's trip to the Bahamas was a new revelation in my research. Jim mentioned that they argued about this trip for almost six months, and then, less than two weeks after she returns, she kidnaps her son and commits suicide in a hotel room. Despite Amy's claims in her suicide note that she, quote, can't take the chance of Jim hurting Tim because of my choices, there's no evidence that Jim has ever or would ever hurt his son. Plus, when we spoke with Jim, he suggested that, if anything, Amy's ideas of punishment were much different than his. How was Amy with him? Like, how? what was their relationship like? Oh, that, their relationship was tight. I mean, I mean, Amy, Amy's idea of disciplining him was um, timeouts, which is fine. It's not a problem with that, but sometimes it's... Sometimes he had to sit in his room for being naughty, and they get along well. They never seem to have any problems. From anyone outsider's perspective, it looked like you know, for all intents and purposes, you were a loving, caring family. Yeah, always loving, caring for Timothy. When I was young, I didn't have a lot of things, a lot of toys and stuff. And when Timothy had um, pretty much all the toys I had wanted when I was when I was younger, he had go karts and a little mini bike and everything else. Despite their disagreements, there was nothing to suggest that Amy, Jim, and Timothy were anything but a typical American family with their own set of problems. Certainly nothing to suggest the reality in which Jim lives today. What is your life like now? Uh, shambled once in a while. Uh, I've got a lot of good friends that help me deal with a lot of different issues and stuff going on. Just, I just worry every day and wonder where he's doing and hopefully he's safe and being well taken care of. I wanted to know more about what Jim remembers about Timothy. Can you describe him to me? Uh, like his personality, maybe what you remember about him the most? Oh, he's really outgoing and really smart. Um, like the little daredevil like his dad, um, jumping off things and just like having fun, like playing with the neighbor kid, kids and going the top of the ice cream man and getting ice cream and coming in the house. <laughs> what are you doing? Ice cream man, dad. And I'm like, okay, so. Can you describe his physical appearance? Uh, he was um, about four foot two, um, 70 pounds, um, blonde hair, brown eyes, um, mild complexion, light complexion. Um, he uh, looked like he was packing on a little weight, getting ready for a girl's spurt, you know, eating everything in the house. Did Timothy... Enjoy school? Oh, yes, very much. I dropped him off in the morning, and actually, Amy dropped him off in the morning, and I picked him up at uh, like 10.30 after uh, kindergarten was over. What was your relationship with Timothy like? Oh, it was awesome. He'd, he'd, he'd uh, come down to work with me and give him a pair of safety glasses. He'd come out back, and we'd, we'd play with the uh, workers and tell him to get to work, and He'd be like, let's go, Dad, let's got to go. I'm like, well, I can't go until this is done. And he's like, okay. And he'd go out and help everybody else and 
be fun. He'd go in and talk to the boss or the owner of the company and come back with a sucker or two, and I'm like... The resounding consensus from both Jim and Amy's family is their belief that Timothy is still alive. That none of them, despite Amy's mental health issues, could envision her hurting Timothy in any way. The question then becomes, if Amy didn't murder Timothy, what did she do with him? Seems like the general consensus amongst both sides of the family and even the investigators from what I've, what I've gathered is that Timothy is is alive still. Is that something that you feel as well? Yeah, I don't, I can never see Amy doing anything that hurt Timothy in any way. And I, yeah, I believe he's alive. So she didn't give any clues about um, where Timothy was, but I read that she had like intimated that she had given him to people and that he would never be found. Yeah, he said that he'd, uh, he was somebody who, some, somebody who loves and cares for him and was great and fine and that he would never be found. I mean, to me, that's like, you know, one of the most bizarre aspects of this case is that she says that she had given him to somebody and that he'll be fine, yet she didn't really seem to have any connections with any anybody or anything out in the area that she was. Yeah, it's just a fair assessment. I mean, she's got her, she had her friends from church and stuff that she did stuff with, but nothing that would lead me to think that some of the people have Timothy or would go along with what she what she is, uh, was planning on doing. Where did the investigators originally think about where Timothy could be? Uh, they, uh, originally, I don't know. Uh, they haven't really got into that with me. Um, there are a lot of different, uh, theories and stuff, but they never said it that they thought where he was at or who he was with. There are a lot of theories regarding what could have happened to Timothy. However, the only physical evidence comes from the forensic analysis of pollen and plant material found on the outside of Amy's car, as well as Timothy's blood stains found inside the car. In regards to the pollen on the outside of the car, the website The Charlie Project details the evidence recovered and the current hypothesis. They write, Amy's SUV was visibly dirty and had soil, tall grass, and weeds stuck to the undercarriage. Forensic testing on the plant and sediment materials on the car indicated it stopped for a while on a gravel area just off an asphalt road that had at one time been treated with glass road-making beads. The vehicle backed into a grassy meadow or field which contained Queen Anne's lace and black mustard plants and would have been nearly treeless. Some oak or birch trees were in the general area, but not in the direct place where the car stopped. There was possibly a pond or small stream close by. There were no indications that the land was cultivated as either a lawn or for growing crops. Investigators think the meadow is probably in Lee County or Whiteside County, in northwestern Illinois, but they are also considering Carroll, Ogle, Stevenson, and Winnebago counties. End quote. 
Speaking in an interview with local news reporters, a spokesperson for the Aurora Police Department had this to say in relation to the current status of the forensic analysis. What we're thinking is if any of that vegetation or even anything that we can get from, from any of the, of the dirt um, is unique to any parts of Illinois, that would be a great, a great place to start searching. What we're trying to do here is really pinpoint an area that we can start searching. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a huge circle, and we really need to make that smaller. The only other physical evidence comes from Timothy's bloodstains discovered in the back of Amy's car. However, Jim explains that the bloodstains were old and came from a nosebleed Timothy had earlier that fall. He had a really severe nosebleed the fall before in the back seat of the car. They also did forensic testing on the knife Amy used to kill herself and the only blood found was Amy's. So if she did hurt Timothy, we don't know what she used to do it. And with no other leads, the case goes cold. In an attempt to keep Timothy's story alive in the media, and because of the steadfast belief that Timothy may very well be alive, Jim has continued to talk to the press. Is there any current information on the case or any recent developments that you could share with us? To my knowledge, I haven't heard anything from the investigator, the police department in Aurora, or anything else at the time. Um, the last thing I did was uh, I was the people laying review, and I did the uh, Tom, Walsh, Tom Walsh show. So. It seems like after every time there's some publicity in the case, there's reported sightings of him. So I go and investigate all those leads I did. The last lead was a little like, person in Florida, they showed had pictures and stuff and first and everything for that. Um, the lady up in Rockin that they they found the kid that she's saying that it wasn't Timothy at all. I mean they they investigate all the uh, leads. It's just sometimes they just don't come out the way they want. Do you have a hypothesis about uh, where she could have taken him or, or or where he could possibly be today? Yes, uh, he could be anywhere. I mean. He could be with um, any, any number of people. She could be like a radical church group or something like that. I, I don't know. I mean, it could be um, that or he's with some caring people somewhere else. I don't know. I'd like to have my son back. It's sad that that people who have him haven't just dropped him off somewhere. there has been so much publicity around uh, your son's disappearance that that it's hard for me to imagine that whoever has him hasn't heard about this case what what would you what would you say to the people who may have your son if you could if you could say something to them please stop to return and talk him out the police station and, and uh, I won't uh, be upset anymore.
When investigating these cases, I always try to remain as objective as possible. With this case, however, I too wanted to believe that Timothy is alive. Despite the fact that Amy, someone her family insists would never hurt Timothy, wasn't thinking clearly at the time of his disappearance. Whatever happened to Timothy, it likely happened between 1.30pm and 8pm on Sunday, May 13th, 2011, somewhere in the northwestern section of Illinois. This might go without saying, but if you're a listener and you live in the northwestern section of Illinois, or you know someone who does, please be vigilant and on the lookout for places that fit with the descriptions I mentioned earlier in the episode. If she disposed of Timothy's body, it would likely be in the place that matches with the sediments recovered from the outside of her car. Also, and I know this might sound weird, but if a new kid just appeared in your neighborhood and he looks like the age-progressed image of Timothy, which can be viewed at our website at thinairpodcast.com, please inform your local law enforcement officials. When I spoke to Jim, we talked about the possibility of Timothy being in a household that is off the grid, without regular access to the internet or media, and maybe homeschooling children, possibly even a religious group. They might not even be aware that Timothy has a loving family that is looking for him. Today, Timothy would be 11 years old. If you have any information, contact the Aurora, Illinois Police Department. Details are on our website. We would like to thank Jim Pitson, Timothy's father, for speaking with us. On our website, thinairpodcast.com, we have photos, including an age-progressed picture of what Timothy would look like today, surveillance videos of Amy and Timothy's trip, and lots of other crucial information on this case. The news clips you heard on today's episode were provided by The Nancy Gray Show and Wisconsin TV station WISN. Today's episode of Thin Air Podcast is brought to you by our donators over at patreon.com forward slash thin air podcast. If you like what we do and want to hear more, consider making a donation so we can keep bringing you quality stories like the one you heard today. Mixing, mastering, and original music for this episode came from our friends at Conifer Audio. If you are interested in original compositions or other audio services for your own podcast, drop them a line at coniferaudio at gmail.com. Join us again in two weeks.